0: This is the Sunday Sermon Series for the third Sunday after Epiphany in the traditional Latin Mass calendar. The lesson is taken from the Apostle St. Paul to the Romans chapter 12 verses 16 to 21. Brethren, be not wise in your own conceits. To no man render evil for evil, but provide good things not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as far as in you lies, be at peace with all men. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but give place to the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. At that time when Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came up and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And stretching forth his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I will be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded. For a witness to them. Now when he had entered Capernaum, there came to him a centurion who entreated him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying sick in the house, paralyzed, and is grievously afflicted. Jesus said to him, I will come and cure him. But in answer, the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man subject to authority. And have soldiers subject to me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following him, Amen, I say to you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. And I tell you that many will come from the east and from the west and will feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom will be put forth into the darkness outside. There will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth." Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so be it done to you. And the servant was healed in that hour. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So today we're going to look especially at St. Paul. I did two VLXs. That's my series that goes through the entire Gospel of St. Matthew and in the future Mark and Luke and John. So if you'd like to hear what the fathers says about the leper and the centurion, Go listen to VLX number 43 on The Leper, which I will link in the show notes, and you can listen to VLX 44 on The Centurion, which I will also put in the show notes. Let's begin with a Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know, there were some great saints, and towards the end of their life, the only spiritual reading they needed was St. Paul. Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity is one of those people. But close behind St. Paul, I would suggest St. Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devout Life. That is probably the best book of spiritual reading for anyone, especially lay people. I doubt for lay people there will ever be a spiritual reading book to reach that level before Christ returns, because it covers everything from Good Manners to Advanced Mental Prayer, and they do have audio versions, so I really suggest you read that either on softback or hardback or Kindle or audio. So today, as I said earlier, we're just going to go look at St. Paul, and we're going to look through each line of the epistle today with some of my own thoughts, again looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 16 to 21. So we will start in verse 16, which says, Brethren, be not wise in your own conceits. So this reminds me of when St. Paul writes to Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Or again today, be not wise in your own conceits. So what do you do then if you meet someone who you really think you're better than? All right, come on. We all have that temptation and most of us consent to it at least once once a year, maybe once a week maybe every day, interiorly at least, to think I'm a better Catholic than this guy or I'm a better athlete than this guy or I'm a better physician than this guy or I have more friends than her or whatever. So how can I really take these lines from St. Paul seriously if, say, I don't know, I meet a drug addict that I'm supposed to esteem him as better than me? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas has a subdued but brilliant answer as always. Before I get to that, think of one person that you think you're better than or are tempted to think such. St. Thomas Aquinas says, But how can a superior person do this? For he either does not know that he is superior and virtuous, and then he's not virtuous because he's not prudent, or he does know, and then he cannot consider some as superior to himself. I answer that no one is so good that there is no defect in him, or so evil that he has no good. Therefore, he should not prefer another to himself absolutely, but because he can say in his mind, perhaps there is some defect in me that is not in this other person. Augustine shows this in the book on virginity. Listen to this, everyone. This is amazing. St. Augustine, when he recommends that a virgin prefer a married woman to herself on the ground that she may be more fervent. Now, he's not saying those vowed to virginity should leave it. But what he's saying is that someone who has perpetually committed themselves to virginity should look at a married woman and say, maybe she's more fervent in the love of Jesus Christ than I am, even though neither of them have any plans on abandoning their, abandoning their vocations. St. Thomas Aquinas continues, But suppose that one person is good from every aspect and another evil. Nevertheless, you and he bear a double person, namely yours and Christ's. Therefore, if you cannot prefer him to yourself by reason of his person, you can do so by reason of the divine image. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12.10. So basically, St. Thomas Aquinas is saying that image of God in the drug addict is greater than your image of yourself. Even if the drug addict has lost the likeness of God in mortal sin, and you regain that likeness of God in baptism by obtaining sanctifying grace, what is good in the drug addict by virtue of being made in the image of God still is greater than your own pride, which of course does not come from God, but from the enemy of human nature. So whatever goodness is in that drug addict's life currently, or even any goodness in his past, is from God, who is being itself. And whatever you're prideful for is actually evil, and evil is a privation of good. So that's an objective reason why even your enemy is better than you, and that way you can consider yourself not wise in your own conceit. One, because whatever's good in him comes from God and whatever's of you is evil. Uh, but also, if you are tempted to that pride, and one, one of the great gifts of being very poor or down and out is it's very hard to be prideful. And therefore, we become wise in our own conceit often to the point of satanic pride. And also, anytime you're tempted to think you're really smart, think of the angels. You know, the lowest angel has a stronger intellect than the top million smartest people on the planet right now. All of the geniuses running around right now, not only are they sinners, but just like pigs, we all have snouts and intestines. How do you think the angels see this? These angels who are pure intellect and will, and they look at like one pig snorting at another, how much smarter he is? Well, which of those two pigs do you think an angel would have more pity on? Okay, the next line to no man, render evil for evil. So I admit, this is so hard. Not that any of us would really want to render one of our enemies pure evil. But, you know, when someone hurts us, we all want to make them pay for it just a little bit, right? Now, I'm not talking about Christian boundaries because I said before on Dr. Taylor Marshall's podcast about a month or two ago, when we're dealing with a narcissist, we often have to love them from a distance so we don't lose our minds. Of course, we're not called to be doormats. And before we look at this line from St. Paul, keep in mind, you are called to defend your homes against intruders and heretics, of course. But if you've ever been forgiven a mortal sin in confession, then you were forgiven an infinite offense against the infinite majesty of God, which is greater than anything against you, even something horrible, like if you had a child murdered, because even that was primarily an offense against God. Of course, it was also a great offense against you, but... Any of us who have had a mortal sin forgiven in the confessional must remember that we made an infinite offense against an infinite God. So you're never capable of forgiving another as much as God has forgiven you. And yet he expects you to come as close to that as possible, which is why you can't exact a pound of flesh when someone simply crosses you or mildly offends you. And this is one reason why St. Paul tells us today, To no man render evil for evil. He continues, But provide good things, not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of all men. Did you catch those last five words that were to provide good things for others in the sight of all men? Now, wait a minute. Should we hide our good works or show them off? So, Matthew 6.1 says, Take heed that you do not do your justice before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you shall not have a reward of your Father who is in heaven. But in the chapter right before that, Christ said, so let, your sh- so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So these modern scripture quote-unquote scholars, they always think that they're the first to find contradictions in the Bible. But the fathers knew these were only apparent contradictions. Listen to how Pope St. Gregory the Great reconciles these two. Quote, Why then is it commanded that our work shall be so done as not to be seen, And yet that it shall be seen but that what we do must be hidden so that we ourselves be not praised and yet must be made manifest that we may increase the glory of our heavenly father for when the lord forbids our doing our righteousness before men he immediately adds lest we should be seen of them and when on the other hand he tells us that our good works should be seen of men he forthwith subjoins that they may glorify your father which is in heaven whether therefore works should be seen or not seen he showed must be accorded to the end we have in view." So this is all about intentions in this case. In other words, our good works can occasionally be seen by others, but the interior intention of ourselves should always be that these works glorify God, not ourselves, when people see that. Now, of course, we're all masters of our own deceit. We all like the humble brag occasionally, and so the key here is to ask God to purify our intention not so that we just say pious things like, oh, it's all God in my life, or oh, it's all for God's glory, but that we really, really mean it when we say it's for God's glory, that we first see that interiorly before we do this humble brag. Oh, it's just all for God's glory. No, we really have to mean that, even if our loved ones were not to notice us at all. In fact, that's how we would actually know if we're just fake, humble, or truly humble on these works is no one would notice (laughs) so we have to purify our intention that if people see our good works we have to want them to see it truly for god's glory and secondly for the salvation of souls not for our own earthly badges of honor okay the next line if it be possible as far as in you lies be at peace with all men now why do you think the apostle paul says here if it be possible well, first of all, Jesus wouldn't have said, love your enemies, if he didn't expect you to have some. So it's okay you have enemies. Let's look at St. Paul himself, his life. You know, perhaps all saints are on fire with the sacred heart of Jesus. But I, su- I suspect St. Paul was absolutely emblazoned, way beyond even most your best saints, besides, of course, Mary and Joseph with his life and his heart being totally a conflagration of the Sacred Heart of Jesus everywhere he went. If you read Acts of the Apostles and the other books that come after the Gospels, people are in tears every time the Apostle Paul leaves them. St. Paul was on fire with pure charity everywhere he went, and yet he had so many enemies. But here's the thing, he didn't make them his enemies. They made him their enemy because they hated him preaching Christ crucified. And so St. Paul understood that the first great commandment always comes before the second great commandment. I always say that. But what I mean by that is we are called to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind first, and then and only then overflowing into the second great commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourself. But if our neighbor expects us to compromise on the gospel or the law of God, then we cannot make peace with our neighbor. doesn't mean we go looking for a fight. And so I'm not saying we want to go looking to argue with non-Christians. But we are at a time in American history right now where they will seek you out to persecute you even if you say nothing. It's like they have a secret diabolical sense who is not woke and they will make you pay for it. So here's my advice. Do not compromise, do not give in, but do not render evil for evil. Because if compromise means peace, then that is why St. Paul had to have that caveat, if it be possible. If it be possible, as far as in you lies, be at peace with all men. So strive for peace, but peace is not the ultimate goal. People pleasing and striving for human respect can never come at the cost of trashing our own relationship with God and His commandments. That is what makes martyrs when people put the first great commandment ahead of the second great commandment, and we may be approaching that in our country soon. And what a glorious gift from God if some of you. These listeners were crowned one day with martyrdom. And again, as I said earlier, you do have to defend your families against violence and heresy. But one reason we do not want to fight back if our day of martyrdom has arrived, truly for the Catholic faith, is because a crown of martyrdom greatly increases God's glory and greatly inc- increases your glory in heaven and it greatly increases the chances of salvation of those around you. But a very distant fourth reason that we really probably shouldn't dwell on too much on this topic of enemies and martyrdom is that God will punish those who punish us, especially if they're punishing us for striving to be traditional Catholics. Keep in mind this next line from St. Paul. It's not just a warning, but a promise. Listen to this next line from Romans 12 today. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but give place to the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So basically what he's saying here is Don't take vengeance on others because that's stealing from God. He does have the right to repay the wicked for what they've done. And he has all of eternity to do that. You know, once I confessed wanting to take vengeance on a priest who betrayed me, I don't mean physical vengeance, but, you know, uh, kind of like word vengeance on a priest who betrayed me. And the priest I was confessing to, he quoted that line, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then he wisely added, that's not just a threat, but a promise. So again, we don't want to dwell too long on that since we're we're called to pray for our enemies mainly, not in fake charity, but in true charity as St. Paul did. And that's probably why he quickly returns to his first point in the last verses of today. But if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him drink. Let's pause right there. He means that literally. He doesn't mean that just in a spiritual way. If your enemy is hungry, you give him food. If your enemy's thirsty, you give him drink. Why? Because we want, to con- we want to convert him. And the next line For by so doing you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, oh, is not that last line the entire key to this church crisis as traditional Catholics, as traditional Catholics are persecuted by fake Catholics? There we have our marching orders Overcome evil with good. The Latin for that line is Vince in bono malum. Or in Greek, nika en to agatho to kakon. Nika is the imperative of that shoe company Nike, which means to gain victory. So nika in the imperative is become victorious. You become victorious in the good. Literally the word in is there in the Greek. Literally in the good in Greek. Conquering the evil around us. Kakon in Greek, where we get that English word cacophony. Literally bad sounds. Kakos is evil. Phony is sound. So cacophony is literally bad sounds. So in closing, imagine a cacophony of devils screaming around you. And what conquers that? The silent love of Jesus Christ on the cross being raised above the noise as a growing symphony of saints loving their enemies, triumphing in praise, praise of God over all the lies and deceits of world history. Let us pray that we may join that symphony of saints praising God on this cross, and please God, praising him forever in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.